0: Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. Administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility.
1: Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long
0: time, by the way, we have to fix that.
2: Welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I am the county clerk in Boone County, and with me is my co-host.
1: Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri.
2: And today we are really excited to have Dave Nichols, the Election Services Manager for the Virginia Department of Elections. So we're really excited to talk about the interplay between local and state elections and how things are done in Virginia. So welcome.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here.
2: As you know, the first thing we always like to talk about is how you got into elections in the first place. So how did you find your way into state elections management?
0: Sure, I kind of fell into it, actually, uh, like a lot of us. In 2008, I found myself with some extra time because I was a stay-at-home dad and my wife was working. And we got to a point where My son, who needed a little more attention, needed a little less attention while he was at school. And so I started volunteering at the local county Democratic Party headquarters. And Natalie Tennant was running for secretary of state in West Virginia at the time. And she rented office space from the county party rather than go to the state headquarters and she and i got to know each other and after she won election she asked me if i joined her transition team and then asked me to come on as the uh, elections director for west virginia
2: i would say that is one of the more unusual ways of getting into the election space i mean there's a lot of people that start out as poll workers and there's certainly i think a fair number of campaigners but how did you make the transition over into virginia
0: in 2016 Secretary Tennant lost re-election, and the incoming Secretary of State decided that he didn't need my services. Um, so I had about a year off, almost, from January through December. I found a posting, I believe, on the Election Center's website that Virginia was looking to hire this position, and I interviewed for it just before Thanksgiving. I think shortly after Thanksgiving, I got the offer, and then a week later, I was starting everybody in my family still lived in Charleston and I was staying at a friend's parents' house (laughs) about a half an hour away from Richmond um, because I had literally a week to get down here to Richmond and and get things sorted and, and start, start work.
1: What do you know now about elections that you wish you would have known in 2008, 2009, when you came into secretary tenant's office in West Virginia? All of it.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I knew a little about election administration, but not very much, quite frankly. I was hired mostly because she knew I could learn the election administration parts of it, um, but because she needed someone to manage the, the division more than anything else. Um, that's what she was looking for you know, I guess we got lucky that I can learn things. But yeah, it's like, one of my favorite stories is that, uh, you know, I started, she she was inaugurated in late January. I think I'd been on the job for two weeks before I went to my first NASED conference. And I sat next to Nat Robinson from Wisconsin, who was just extremely nice, um, just a wonderful guy. And he kept telling me every time we'd have a break, if you have questions, feel free to ask. So... <laughs> we there's like this hour and a half session and when we finally get done. And he looks at me and he says, well, did you have any questions about that one? And I said, yes. What's a UO <laughs> They said it a million times in that session. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but I listened. <laughs> I'm constantly amazed by how much local election officials need to know in order to do their jobs. Because I don't actually have to do it. I don't have to contact poll workers. I don't have to, you know, set up polling places and make sure those are, you know, ready to go. I just have to say, here's what you have to do to do it. <laughs> and so I get out of a lot of it. And it, I, I'm constantly amazed at the amount of information that local election officials can keep in their head or in their notes and, you know, and pull this off.
1: So, with that said, you want to explain to us what your duties look like now and how are elections managed at the state level in Virginia? Because you work for a secretary of state in West Virginia. It doesn't sound like the secretary of state manages elections like that in Virginia. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's a little different in West Virginia. The uh, the secretary of state is the chief elections officer, but everything is very, very, very decentralized. You know, the local clerk who's an elected official runs the elections at the local level. There is a state board of elections, but frankly, there, there's not a whole lot of a role for them the Secretary of State's office is just kind of an overarching thing, trying to keep make sure people were doing things according to the law. And then in addition to that, in West Virginia, the cities or towns have their own city or city town clerk recorder, and those folks are in charge of the elections at the town level. Here in Virginia, it's a little different. We do have the Department of Elections that is part of the Office of the Secretary of Administration, which is part of the governor's office. And so we have a very structured reporting hierarchy there. There is a State Board of Elections that's very active and does a lot for setting policy for the department. And then at the local level, there are three member electoral boards that are nominated by the political parties and appointed by a circuit court judge. And then those three are responsible for hiring the local general registrar slash director of elections. And those folks are the ones who are, you know, the most uh, heavily responsible for voter registration and conducting the election itself. So it was a, a pretty big switch, partly because here in Virginia, we have a requirement to ensure uniformity you know, a lot of the county clerks in West Virginia, anytime we tried to suggest something would consider it to be us trampling in their own territory uh, and that we ought to stay out of it and leave them alone. Here in Virginia, it is a little different because the registrars typically want to make sure that things are happening the same way in every county or independent city, because even though it is decentralized and, and, you know, still the locals are are in control of that, attitude is just different. Things are expected to come from the state level. When a new law passes, they expect us to send us something that says, here's how you handle this, here's what you do with this. And I think it's good because it then ensures that no matter where you are within the Commonwealth of Virginia, you're going to have roughly the same experience in voting. And I think that's helpful for for voters, especially in a state where so many people move around West Virginia is not that way. People in West Virginia tend to, uh, and I'm born and raised uh, in West Virginia, but people who are there tend to stay where they are for just about forever. So I think it's nice to kind of have that uniformity and have the state working with the locals to figure out the best way to manage that piece of it. It's nice uh, from my role, I work as the election services manager. I'm not in charge of the entire Department of Elections, and I, our current commissioner does a fantastic job, and I don't think I want his job because <laughs> I've seen some of the things he has to put up with. But I uh, currently am in charge of the election administration staff. They do a lot of the you know, candidate filings and setting up the the central system for all the elections uh, and making sure everything is, is input into the system for that. They do all of the ballot proofing because we do have to see everybody's ballots before they can be used in an election. Um, they look at all the election results and make sure that what we call the abstracts of votes from the localities um, that have the final vote totals on it, make sure all those are correct, and that all of their background data, as far as uh, the election is concerned, whether it be voter turnout or you know provisionals, that sorts of things. And they check all of that out. I'm also in charge, sadly enough, of the campaign finance division. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've got a couple of staff there, and the the department's policy staff uh, is also under my purview at the moment. And they're the ones who primarily will, write those pieces of official guidance to go out to the localities and say, here's this and here's how you handle it. Any regulations that the state board is going to pass, they write those. Um, You know, they're responsible for a good deal of internal policy as well.
2: Because you've been in both states now where clerks have more or or less authority. When you're working on guidelines and, and forms and things like that that you provide in Virginia, Do you bring local election authorities into the conversation? Do they help guide anything or is it very strictly top down once the division determines what the guidance is going to be? That's what it is. And the clerks just accept it. And there really isn't much discussion about it.
0: It used to be a smidgen that way before I got here. (laughs) It used to be a lot of very top down. Here's what you're doing because I said so since uh commissioner piper and deputy commissioner bowman i work very hard and and so does the rest of the department to include local election officials on things i have a work group of folks who are just fantastic um whether they're general registrars or staff from the local offices there there are about 20 of them i think in the work group uh we have 133 localities so 20 is a pretty good you know number that's that's manageable and i can send out an email to all of them and say I need to do this i need three people to help me and within five minutes i've got three people who are ready to help me and sometimes they'll take if it's a form or something they'll take the form they'll work on it themselves and get it back to me and say here's what we've come up with what do you think and we may do some additional tweaks um but then we'll put it out to the whole group and let everybody else look at it and if everybody else is good with it then we're ready to roll with this new form i don't like working those kind of things in a vacuum because I'm not the guy who has to use them every day. So I want to make sure that it's a usable piece of something, whatever it might be, because there are plenty of people who've been in this business longer than me. You know, I've got you know, roughly 12 years, 13 years in now. But there are people in this state who have been general registrars for 25 or 30 years. They know what they're doing. They've seen it all. Well, until 2020, they had seen it all. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, they know what their voters need. They know what they need to make their offices successful. So I want to make sure that they have input on those things because I've only been in Virginia for three years. I might be missing something entirely. We may, may have tried this previously, this idea I have, and it was a complete flop. So why do it again if somebody can say, oh, we did that once. That was a bad, bad thing. Don't Let's not do that again. I just have no desire for that sort of a of a relationship with the localities and especially here in the Commonwealth. It's a team effort just because of the amount of uniformity that uh, that we try to ensure way back when I, I want to say 2012 the law changed, giving us um, a photo ID requirement prior to that. Um, there were some ID requirements, but if you didn't have one, you could sign an affidavit saying this is me. Well, in 2020, the General Assembly killed the photo ID requirement and we went back to pre-2012 with the affidavit. I wasn't here in 2012. I had no idea that thing existed. And so I'm like, okay, guys, so now we've got to make this new form and it's got to do this and this and this. And somebody sent me a copy of the old one and said, can't we just do something like this? And I'm like, yes, thank you. (laughs) So, you know, it's just those, it just made my life so much easier to not have to you know, come up with something from scratch. And that's, that's what these folks do for me is that they, you know, they keep me honest and keep me knowing what the history is on some things um, with the little bit of experience I have here in Virginia. And, and they're just such a great group.
2: I also used to work in a secretary of state office and now I'm a local election authority, but I constantly look back and think, man, if I had, (laughs) if I had known what I would have to deal with now, uh, I would have done a lot of things very differently. I guess you, do you have anything like that? Do you have things that you're like, if I had known that this was gonna happen, I would have handled this situation completely differently with the local election authorities, or um, do you have advice on how local election authorities can can work better with, with the state to avoid those things from happening?
0: First of all, I, I can tell you, and, um former Secretary Tenant would not mind me saying this, the relationship between our office and the local election officials in West Virginia was not a good one. It was very tense, full-time, and I could never figure out why. I don't know if it was just something that was inherent um, and there was just no way to get past it. I know there was a lot of issues because uh, current U.S. Senator Joe Manchin was Secretary of State previously, and he was Secretary of State at the time of HAVA. And once West Virginia went to the Central Voter Registration Database, he basically said, okay, here's the product you're getting, have a great day. With no input from the local election officials, no asking them what they needed, just here's the system we're getting. Now, I'm sure they did some, they, they, they were not stupid people in that office. They did some research and, and knew the basics of what was necessary, but the, the local county clerks just always felt like that had been thrown at them that they didn't get any input in this huge piece of, uh, of stuff. And I think there was a lot of that left over even once Secretary Tennant um, came through. And then she wanted to push for some reforms that they didn't particularly care for. And so that just, you know, created a, a fairly tense situation. I think one of the things that both state mm-hmm. officials and local officials need to understand in order to try to work through any kind of relationship like that is that while the local election official has their their realm right these are the people that you're taking care of and these are the things you need to take care of that's that's what you ought to be doing as a local official as a state official you've got a much broader picture and so something that you can see happening here on the west side that's really bad that isn't gonna get fixed until you get a law change to fix it. But somebody over here on the east side is going, are you crazy? Why do we need a law that says to do that? That then creates tension between the state and the local level, because this person over here on the east side has no idea what's going on on the west side. And so it's important, I think, to just keep the dialogue open for people to understand why why the state is doing what the state's doing and to always this the state always ought to be seeking input from the locals because the local election officials are the ones who have to do it um, i don't know of too many state-run offices that are on the ground you know actually running the election and so you've got to keep that cooperation going you've got to keep those lines of communication open you're going to disagree sometimes and you know that's fine it's it's going to happen if you can understand why they're doing it, that's an important piece to figuring out how to move forward. And so it, it's always, I think, from what I can tell from my um, time in West Virginia and here in Virginia, is that there's always tension. And and this, is, this comes from also, you know, interacting with other state election officials. There's, there's, there's just always tension between the state and the local because of the different perspectives that they have to serve.
1: Dave, I really appreciate your perspective and your opinion that there's always friction between the, the state and local election administrators. That's certainly been my experience. A lot of folks i talked to from across the country have had a similar experience. So I think you're probably spot on with that observation. What I find really interesting, though, is what you have mentioned about Virginian, its framework of conformity almost amongst all the, all the jurisdictions uh, we certainly don't have that in Missouri. I think we're a lot more like West Virginia in that regard. But even though there's a emphasis on conformity, you have wildly varying sizes of jurisdictions. You know, you've got Fairfax County, which is, you know, about the size of St. Louis County. And then I just looked on Google and you've got Highland County, which is just a couple thousand people. So when you're at the state level in Virginia, when you are trying to emphasize this uniformity across the state, how does a place like Fairfax County, which is going to have m- much different challenges than Highland County, how do you reconcile those two things? Can you give them enough autonomy to make things work for for them?
0: Yes, yeah, we, we certainly do. That's you know, one of the things that I made sure to ensure with, especially with that work group that I have put together, is that we have folks from Fairfax County, which, you know, by Virginia standards is just enormous. I mean, they're, they're huge. And you may have gotten Highland County, but what you missed was the city of Norton. The city of Norton has about 2,300 registered voters. Any election day, they have one polling place. Um, But they're their own independent thing um, within the within the county of wise, fully engulfed in the county of wise. And so, you know, it's it's difficult because you do have to you have to plan for that 600,000 people who are going to show up to vote in one county and the 1400 who are going to show up in Norton or, or some of these other smaller counties or or cities and we can give them a certain degree of autonomy. There are a lot of things, you know, like we passed the you know, ability for them to have satellite early voting locations, you know, basically vote centers during early voting. And we gave the option to all localities if they wanted to have those satellites, they could. I think Fairfax County wound up with 14. Places like Norton and Highland County wound up with none. Because they didn't need it, it wasn't going to be efficient for them. It wasn't going to serve their voters, or, or be efficient use of taxpayer money to do that. And so, there are a lot of ways that we can we can work together to try to figure out how to balance things um, from the very large to that very small. Typically, when I do have some big thing coming up, I'll talk to folks in Fairfax County, and then um, actually the the current president of the Virginia Registrars Association is from Wise County Uh, and she and I have gotten to know each other very well and she's wonderful and so I rely heavily on her uh, for the experience that she's had uh, and that sort of thing and it helps having that person that I can call up who is from a small locality but it is a it's a tough balancing act
1: sometimes. You said there's a registrar's association in Virginia so I assume that they advocate for and against things in the state capitol Uh, Do you ever find yourselves at opposite ends of an issue? In previous
0: sessions, that has been the case. Recently, it is not. Commissioner Piper has done a great job of putting together, because not only is there the Registrar's Association, like I said, each locality also has three members of an electoral board. They have their own association, the Virginia Electoral Board Association. And so what we'll do is during legislative session, um, we'll meet once a week. We'll talk about what bills are coming up. We'll say, okay, well, we have to support this one because of this. And they'll say, no, 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 we can't do that. And and occasionally we can figure out a way to, to make it work for everybody. Occasionally we can't. And we just have to say, OK, well, at least I understand why you're against it or I understand why you're for it. There used to be times when someone from the administration, uh, because the commissioner and deputy commissioner appointed positions, they're appointed by the governor. There were times when someone from the administration would stand up at a committee meeting and advocate or for or against a, a particular position on a bill and then the Registrar's Association and the Electoral Board Association would stand up and take the opposite view, and a fight would ensue in committee meetings. And that's just not a professional way to behave. (laughs) And so we've all committed to working to doing a better job of, of talking these things out before the bill ever comes up so that we can either present a unified front or at least understand each other's position so that there's not literal arguments in front of uh, legislative committees. We don't like those.
2: So before we had mentioned that, especially with the change in power dynamic in the Virginia legislature, that there was a slew of new reforms and things like that that came down. Can you speak to what it's been like to have that level of change in the elections administration process? You know, Michigan was one, and we talked to to somebody in Michigan that had to deal with the reforms that came through initiative petition, but these came through the legislature.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so our our general assembly meets generally in uh, mid January through March of even numbered years. They have a shorter session in odd numbered years, and as you said, the the power dynamic shifted after the twenty nineteen election. Um, The Democratic Party took control of both the the Senate and the House and our our governors are Democrat. And so uh, the General Assembly members had a lot of pent up elections energy that they wanted to to express. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, there were a total of 158 elections bills introduced and a total of 67 of those passed. Some of them had delayed enactment dates. Thank goodness. Uh, And so we don't have to worry about them until 2021. And there's actually one that doesn't go into effect until October 1 of 2022. So we knew going in that there were going to be a lot of changes uh, coming out of the General Assembly in 2020. And so we were already working with the, the two associations to try to figure out a plan for how to handle some of these things, we had no idea how many bills would ultimately get passed. It was just an enormous, some of them were enormous changes. We knew we were going to have a lot, but right about the time that we knew what bills we were going to have to implement is when COVID hit. (laughs) And so suddenly we've got, you know, even more changes. Uh, And so we had the March presidential primary, and then we had May general elections for towns, And then a June primary that got delayed uh, for state offices, uh, you know, for Congress and that sort of thing in U.S. Senate. And just it was a crazy year of changes. And it's so, so important, especially when you have that many to work together with the local officials with 67 bills, you can't, there's no one person, there's no team of five people that can think of all the changes that you need to make sure to cover and all the advice and guidance and instructions that you're going to have to put out. One of the things we do um, from our office is we have what we call the handbook. And basically it's uh, 17 chapters, uh, about 480 pages, I think last I saw, that's basically a, okay, so you're a general registrar, here's how you do your job. And so we had to go through every chapter of the handbook and update so many things (laughs) in it uh, and make sure that we were catching everything. In the special session, they passed a, a budget amendment that made about five additional changes to election law on August 24th. In early August, the State Board of Elections passed four new regulations. One of them included making sure every piece of election material uh, that gets mailed has the election mail logo. I think it's a great regulation, um, but it was a big change for a lot of localities because they already had envelopes and everything printed and ready to go because um, you don't do that you know, 10 minutes before it's time to mail them out. You order those ahead of time. We also included that you had to use the USPS Intelligent Mail barcode on both outgoing and return absentee envelopes, We'd had that functionality and could do that for them with the labels that they print from our central system, but not all of them were using it. And some people had already prepared absentee envelopes without the label for the return. And those were just the changes from the special session or from the regulations the state board passed. For the general assembly session, the main one in January, February, March, we got things like um, no excuse absentee voting, we also, like I said, we we rolled back photo ID. My goodness, just a number of things. There were some pretty significant changes we did. Um, we we kind of went for it. We got a twofer out of one. It used to be that the deadline to apply for an absentee ballot was seven days before the election, and they moved that to 11 days before the election. So that was a big change, not necessarily for voters, because most of them, Quite frankly, don't know the deadline anyway. They just wait for us to tell them what the deadline is. But the other piece of that was that on the back end, what Virginia used to be, a ballot received by election day, the end. If it's not in by the time the polls close, no, no, no good. Um, and so one of the things they did was extend that to noon on the third day after the election. So you had less time to apply, but you had more time to get it back and, and get it in. And so that, that actually was one of the bigger changes because it meant that see Virginia's canvas starts the day after the election. You have election day the next morning you're in for canvas. That was a big change for me because in West Virginia, you have the election on Tuesday and canvas starts on Monday. <laughs> you got some time to, to do the research you need on provisionals or, or that sort of thing and be ready to go. Um, In Virginia, you start the next day and you've basically got a week um, to pull it off and be done. And so we didn't change that week, but we also changed when ballots that could be counted were received by, three and a half, you know, two and a half days or whatever. So it did make things a little tense on the back end, especially for some of the larger localities like Fairfax County, where, you know, after election day, they're still getting all kinds of absentee ballots in the mail and having to process those and needing to, you know, be able to process them, process them as long as they're received through noon on the Friday after the election. And then by Tuesday, they have to have all of their results into us, they have to complete the canvas and be, you know, have everything into us. So it made it uh, a little difficult for some places. One locality got an outbreak of COVID in the middle of Canvas. The general registrar, several staff members think the total number wound up being 40 people who unfortunately caught COVID during Canvas. uh, And the the completion of that Canvas was delayed. And it wound up actually that they The general registrar and the electoral board were on a Zoom meeting, I want to say from eight o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday until I think that, you know, they took breaks to eat, but it was roughly um, four o'clock in the morning the next the next morning when they finally finished up uh, processing the provisional. So, you know, it was just a banner year for changes all around. Uh, Virginia also has a lot of, uh, we have a petition requirement to get on the ballot and collecting petitions is not an easy thing to do during COVID. Um, May not even be advisable for that matter, but still required. And I, I think we had a total of 54 court cases this year, many of them dealing with the number of petition signatures required to get on the ballot and the deadlines to do that sort of thing. So not only are are you know all these other laws changing now the courts are coming in and saying okay well this is different now yay have a great day um and that's fine they're allowed to do that and, and we have to implement it. we all know that we also had a court case that required us to change how we service our print disabled voters and so we've uh we used a solution to send ballots to electronically to uocava voters And we wound up having to use that system to send ballots electronically to print disabled voters. Uh, And so getting the word out to print disabled voters and to 133 general registrars who are already conducting absentee voting on, okay, well, I know it's now October 1st and you've been, you know, we're halfway through early voting, but now we have to change this. And if you already had somebody who, indicated they needed assistance you have to contact them and see if this is what they need and if they do then you have to send them this whole other thing and that's the other thing is that you know we went through all of those um, that all those changes in 2020 and basically any of the court cases or anything from the special session we just had two legislative special elections in January and we've got two local special elections in February and then another special election for a local office in March. And, and we had a state senator who unfortunately passed away and we've got a special election to fill his seat in March because we never stop having elections in Virginia. They're like every 15 minutes. But currently, not like the, the laws that passed for the special session, uh, several of the court cases, those things, though they were in place for the November 2020, they don't apply to these specials. So you've got to revert back and then the legislature is going to pass them all. And on July one, they'll become the law again. And so for, you know, November 2021, we'll just do these things all over again. So it was, you know, you like to get to the start of the election. And here's what we're doing. You know, you don't want to have to be making changes late. Sometimes they do. And and they did a great job of implementing the changes. But boy, would it have just been nice to go like a day without changing something. But I just I look at all the things that the locals went through and I'm just consistently astounded by the job that they did.
1: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in again to another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. A big thank you to Dave Nichols for joining us from Virginia or should I say the Virginias? He's he's worked in both. So hope you tune in next time for another great episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins.